Morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. It's been eight weeks. Easter Sunday I was here. So it's a great pleasure to be back again. We're going to read this morning in Colossians chapter 2. Paul is writing to a church that he's never been to. And uh, I was wondering to myself what I would write to a church I'd never been to, what sort of things I would emphasize to them and what sort of things would seem to to be important. We're just going to read the first nine verses of Colossians chapter 2. And uh, Paul has been talking about his labor for the church and the fact that he's been wrestling for it in prayer and so on. So he begins chapter 2 by saying, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And verse 9 will form the the link with next week's message, all being well, as we spend some time in this chapter. Paul uses the language of the arena. Uh, He actually uses the word to wrestle or to be in conflict and as you know, during the, the period of the Roman world, uh, one of the things that occupied many people was what went on in the arena, the gladiatorial uh, contests and various aspects of wrestling and uh, various chariot racing and so forth and so on. And this whole emphasis that Paul brings here is to bring to the people the fact that in spite of the fact that he has never known them or never met them, that he's agonizing and wrestling in prayer for them and struggling for those who don't know that you're struggling for them is is a very valiant thing to do. And I've often thought about the the motivation of the apostle when he was engaged in in so many uh, writings and in so many situations And just sharing with folk the the fact that he was concerned about them and wrestling and struggling in prayer. 
I can remember in one instance many years ago uh, having an attitude of heart which related particularly to a particular situation. And I just mentioned to the person that uh, I had been praying for them, and they wept. And they said, well, how did you know that we were facing these sort of situations? And I said, I didn't. But I just felt that I should be praying for you. And I had no great consciousness of wrestling in prayer or agonizing in prayer for those particular people. And yet the Lord somehow used it to to speak to them and to to be effective in, in their lives. It's good to have a burden in prayer. And if there is someone that you have in mind and you've been thinking about recently, it's probably because you should be praying for them. So please take that on board and and just lift them to the Lord and just share your concerns for them with the Lord Jesus and uh, he will bless that particular exercise. And then he, he tells them a bit about his purpose and you'll notice that in, in verse 2, or his goal. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. They be, may be united in love. If you're reading the authorized version, it uses a little phrase which is quite unusual, that their hearts might be knit together in love. Now, knitting is a, is a great occupation. I've often marveled in years gone by at my mother and the things that she managed to knit for me, which I rejoiced in wearing, including an iron sweater, uh, which was very complex in its pattern. But, you know, I just marveled at what she did in knitting. Now, knitting is an unusual occupation because it's a series of holes connected by wool. Yeah. It's a series of nothingnesses bound together by a strand. And that's the thought that Paul has in mind here. That as you and I recognize how weak we are in the Lord Jesus, we recognize that there is staunchness in standing together in love. A series of nothingnesses connected by a strand of wool, being knit together in love. Do you love one another? I know you put up with one another, but do you love one another? Because love is the key that Paul's talking about here, that if we're going to be encouraged in our hearts, then we are united in our love for the Lord and our love for one another. And when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And this is a strand that runs right through Scripture, particularly in relation to the life of the church. We are not joined together by some nothingness. We are nothingnesses joined together by love. We are bound together with Christ. And the the whole sort of emphasis that Paul's placing here is that you'll be encouraged in heart by the fact that you're united in love. It's a great encouragement to, to know, as I've already mentioned, that other people are praying for you, other people are sharing with you in your difficulties, that there is a, a real 
relationship, which is expressing the love of Christ in our responses to one another. But he's going to go on now to the, the key to, to Christian living and Christian function. And he says, I want you to be encouraged in heart and united in love in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. In order that you may know the, the mystery of God, namely Christ. We are bound together in our Christian fellowships so I know how God works in those fellowships in the person of his son. That we may recognize that which binds us together is Christ himself. This father's glorious casket, which is a term I read once years ago. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So to know the mystery of Christ is to have an awareness of what the revelation of God is in Christ. That we'll have a clear understanding. The, the mystery doesn't mean that it's hidden from us, but it's hidden in order to be revealed to us in Christ. That there may be this sense of Christ in us and Christ with us and Christ us and him and, and him and us, that there'll be this awareness that here is the, the very key to our Christian existence. Because in him are hidden, if you bring the next verse up, please, uh, in, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I want to pause here for a minute because uh, it's already been touched on this morning, something that's very much in my heart. We live in a society which does not acknowledge God. Less than 7% of the people in this country ever go to church. Less than 7%. Of those, how many do you think would have an awareness of who the Lord Jesus really is? Probably less than 5%. So one in 20. And yet in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, you can't be wise and you can't have true knowledge unless you know Christ. That's self-evident by what's being said. If in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then if you don't know him, you don't have any real wisdom, you don't have any real knowledge. And that's what's wrong with our world. That's why it's, it's mucking about in the, in the way in which it is and chasing after things which are unimportant and missing the whole point of what living is about. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If I want to know anything of God, I have to know Christ. If I don't know anything of God, I don't have any real knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Scripture says. So if I don't know him, then I don't know anything of these treasures that are hidden in him. So if I'm going to have any real knowledge and any real awareness of why I'm here and what life's about and, and all the rest of the big questions, if I don't know Christ, I know nothing. I might think I do. 
I might assume I do. I might have knowledge of a particular subject or a particular issue, but I've no real knowledge as to why I'm here and what life is about. If it be that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then to know him is surely the greatest blessing in the world. To actually come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus is going to open a whole new vista, a whole new perspective on what life is about. It's going to bring a, a sense of understanding and an awareness of what it is to, to be a Christian. When I was a wee fella and I heard people talking like this, I often wondered what it would be like to come to know the Saviour. And when I was eight years old and sitting in a Sunday school class, it suddenly dawned on me one day that the Lord Jesus loved me and had died for me. And that evening when I went home, I just said to the Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to be part of what I am. I was a rascal, thieving from shops before I was six. And I knew that I needed a saviour. And the remarkable thing is, and the only thing that I truly remember about that first experience of the Lord Jesus was that I knew absolutely that he had come into my life because he had said he would. Him that comes to me, I will under no circumstances cast out. And I had come to him. And I knew how I had come. You understand? I didn't know what the mechanism was but I knew I had come to Christ. I went into school the next morning and said to Miss Baxter, the headmistress, that I wanted to see her. And she said, Glasgow, what do you want? And she said, I, want, I, I said to her, I wanted to tell you I became a Christian last night. And she said, we'll see about that. Because she knew the sort of wee fellow I was. We'll see about that. When I left primary school a few years later, she said, I saw the difference in you after you came to Christ. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Is that the case? Aren't Christians constantly exposed to fine-sounding arguments? You don't believe that, do you? How is it possible that someone who died 2,000 years ago on a cross can actually make a difference in your life now? You don't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead, do you? Do you? Do you? Yeah. <clears throat> you don't let anyone deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. 
because the same arguments were present in Paul's time as are present today. Evolution was recognized and thought by the Greeks 300 years before Christ. The same arguments were present in the world in Paul's time as are present in our times. But don't let anyone deceive you, because it's not true. The deception is in believing that which is not true. You understand that? So don't let anyone deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present from you in spirit, delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So the whole focus of Paul's ministry from this point on is going to be upon the Lord Jesus. And he's going to give uh, considered arguments as to reasons for faith for you and I in the outworking of our Christianity in 21st century Britain. And he says, first of all, so then, and I come to the core of what I want to say this morning, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. We live our lives by faith. You know, it's important to recognize that we have faith in Christ and have faith in God through Christ. But it's important to recognize that I live my life by faith. That is, entrusting the Lord day by day. It's not something which works on a Sunday and is not used during the week. So when you you have a particular issue facing you during the week, you bring it to the Lord and you, you say, Lord, just help me through this. I live by faith. I live in this faith of, of the Lord Jesus. And the Christian life can only be lived by faith. You know, it's so easy to, to form substitutes, to put church in the place of faith. But I live by faith. I live by trusting in Christ day by day, by recognizing his involvement in my life. And he uses two phrases here in in verse 7, which I want you to note. We are rooted and built up in him. Now, Roy will correct me if I'm wrong, but the root system draws sustenance from the soil. Isn't that right, Roy? The root system draws sustenance from the soil. So we're rooted in Christ. So he is our sustaining. You understand It's only as we feed on him, it's only as we relate to him, it's only as we respond in faith to him that we are rooted in him, that we draw sustenance from him in order that we might develop. He also provides our security because being rooted implies a foundation, as does indeed the next phrase. We are built up in him. So it's agriculture and architecture. We are built up in him. He is the basis for our progress. And you and I should be more like the Lord Jesus today than we were a week ago or a fortnight ago. Built up, you know, this sort of thought, where you have a a layer upon layer of being built up in Christ. So we're rooted in Christ and we're built up in Christ, strengthened 
in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And I've been struck this morning by the, the thankfulness that's been expressed by those who were leading the service earlier and by Justin's prayer. You know, the, the thankfulness that, that arises from our hearts because we know Christ. Because not just we see his hand in creation, but we have an awareness of him in our lives. And we know that he's working in our lives and he's working out his purpose in our life. And there is this reality as we grow up into him and become more and more <coughs> like him. And so we overflow with thankfulness. I've always been struck, and I know Desmond will allow this personal reference. I've always been struck with how thankful that Desmond is in, in relation to the life and death of the Lord Jesus. And the fact that we know him through his life and his death. And we should constantly overflow in thankfulness to him. We owe him everything. He is our very life. And he who is our life, when he shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. Finally this morning, we've been called into living in awareness of him. Let me quote to you from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor almost starved to death when he went to China as a missionary. And uh, he had been there about 18 months and was struggling with all sorts of aspects of his faith. And this is what he says in his journal uh, during that second year when he was in China. All the time I felt assured that there was in Christ all I needed but the practical question was how to get it out. When my agony of soul was at its sight, the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Christ as I had never known it before. We are the branches of the vine, but he is the vine, branches and all. And it suddenly dawned on Hudson Taylor you know, he knew there was everything in Christ that he needed. But the difficulty was to get it to function, to get it to be real. When my agony of soul was at its height, the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Christ. As I'd never known it before. You're one with Christ. You're in Christ, he is in you. And it's just a question of outworking that. And then this individual responsibility. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. I want to draw your attention to the phrase, see to it. Each of us has an individual responsibility before the Lord to make it absolutely clear that we're not going to be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Let me be absolutely blunt. I'm not often, but let me be. Don't be spoilt by toying in your mind with notions of hollow philosophy of notions which men have in relation to creation, 
in relation to faith. All faith leads to God. In relation to that which excludes Christ from the equation. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. It, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the word deceit has arisen twice in this particular passage. The deceitfulness of the world in which we live, the deceitfulness of the philosophies that we have to endure. The devil is the author of deceit. Has God said? Is his first question to humanity. Has God said? And it's always been his approach. He always sows doubt on what God has said. So we start toying with the idea. Empty, deceitful, human tradition according to the principles of this age. You see, Paul is alive in the real world. He knows what it's like. He knows how easily Christians can be sidetracked from the centrality of the Lord Jesus. He knows how easily we can start to toy in our minds with other notions. And he says, listen, don't let anybody take you captive. See to it personally that nobody takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. And the basic principles of this age, rather than on Christ. So I'm back really to where I started. Is the Lord Jesus Christ our touchstone? Is he the be-all and end-all as far as our faith is concerned? Is he the one who really secures our life because of our faith in him? Are we prepared to recognize, uh, perhaps in a fresh way this morning, that this is absolutely central? And Paul writes to Christians that he has never met, and all he is concentrating on is the Lord Jesus. If you look at the first chapter, which we haven't done because uh, I decided not to, um, If you look at the first chapter of this little book, it's full of Christ. Absolutely full of Christ. This second chapter is about the application of the principles of faith in Christ to our everyday living. And you and I need to recognize how easy it is to have our faith eroded by falseness, by that which is not true, rather than rejoicing in Christ and having the awareness of his presence day by day, dare I say, moment by moment, to just enjoy him, to enjoy trusting him, to take each day as it comes and just say, well, Lord, you're in charge of it, and whatever it is, you know, whatever works out in today is part of your purpose for me and part of my growth in you. And, and to live like that, to live in the, in the sheer enjoyment and thankfulness of knowing Christ. Can there be anything more precious, anything more valuable than to know him? God bless you. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we bow in your presence and thank you for the Lord Jesus. 
We praise you that all we know of you, he has revealed to us. We thank you that by your Spirit you bring to us that which is of Christ. We thank you that he is the one who leads us into all truth. And we recognize that we live in a world which is full of deception and and deceit and lies and malfunctioning. And we pray that you'll just help us to uh, keep attuned and, and keep secure in our faith in the Lord Jesus and in him alone, and to recognize that by his grace he secures us in his purpose forever. We look forward to that day when we will see him face to face. We look forward to that time when our hearts will truly rejoice and there'll be no veil between our souls and him. And we just rejoice now in the fact that we know him, that we are known by him, that we are known of him, that he is in us and we are in him, that he is with us and we are with him. And we commit our lives to you this morning in glad hope for the future as we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.